The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We're Jamie D and Big Newt. He's Big Chris Newton. I'm Jamie D'Amico, and here we are once again. We're a week into training camp, and damn, it feels good to have uh, have camp up and running, doesn't it? It does, man. Saturday had an open practice, man, and just seeing all the fans. I believe it was like 30,000 people. All right, in Highmark Stadium, watching the team practice, man. It was a beautiful picture and a glorious sight, man. I'm glad. I'm glad we're uh, talking real live football now. And my favorite part about it was Dane Jackson being interviewed, and he was like, "Wait a minute, I've never seen anything like this. This is a practice. They were cheering my name when I was coming out of the tunnel, man. We talk about practice." As well as should be, man. And I like the video that Sal Capaccio uh, showed of of them dancing to Warren G and uh, his son up there bopping to regulate. I love it, man. It's it's good stuff. Yeah. And let me tell the listeners what we're going to discuss today. We're going to talk about some highlights from the first week of camp. We're going to talk about the intrigue regarding the stadium. And we are also going to get into the the Madden controversy. And I know that is close to your heart, big man, huh? Man, you know some of our gamers, man. Just a little segment. We talked about it on Friday that the uh, the quarterback rankings came out. And disrespectfully so, man, my man Josh Allen was number six on the list with a rating of an 88, which is just purely disrespectful. So we will talk about that in a moment. But you and I had an interesting week. Your week was perhaps more interesting than mine was, but I haven't even alluded to this in our private conversations that a very similar scenario happened right near where I live. Tell us about you escaping a basketball or soccer tournament unscathed. It was, it was basketball. So we were up uh, near Philadelphia and Manham, Pennsylvania this weekend for the May Hoops uh, summer finale. It was teams from all over the country there. And uh, it's like the middle school national championship, as you will say. And uh, we were playing in the uh, semifinal game against a team from D.C., team takeover. Um, 
one step away from the championship game. And all you see is hundreds, maybe a thousand people just running onto our court. And so up in Spooky Nook, that's the name of the facility. It's probably like 50 courts there. And so on the main course, the one through 12, that's where the girls championship was. But on all the other courts, it was boys tournaments going on. And from what I saw, it was not like high-level boys. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like when I told you two weeks ago about Peace Jam, the Nike mm-hmm. National Championship. It was none of that. So, and, and, and the weekend leading up to it, man, it, you saw it was a lot of tension in the air. It was a lot of scuffles and fights going on. And so, during the, uh, to cut a long story short, uh, during our semifinal game, all you saw was about 1,000 people just running towards us, all right, heading towards the door. And so, in and if you follow my daughter, please give her a follow, Simone.Newton on Twitter. She has all the videos and stuff up. Um, apparently, it was a – well, at that point, we thought it was a, a live shooter in the building, right? So, everybody kind of ran. I didn't run. I was studying videotaping, right, because I didn't see anything in imminent danger. Once again, this is like – think of like a convention center. So if you look at the direction where everybody was coming from, you could see maybe 200 yards away. This is a mm. big place. So if I would have saw somebody shooting, then I probably would have ran. Well, you, you would have heard it too. Yeah, you would have heard it. In, in but, an enclosed space. Anyway. Right. So Simone was on the court, and she started running. Her and her coaches and the girls started running. So I was fine. I was like, okay, as long as she's running away from where everybody's running from, I'm cool. And so uh, one of our team, our team members, her dad's a cop. And so I seen him kind of, you know, call the act. So I was kind of like with him, like, okay, does anybody need help? Kind of what's going on? Can I help? You know what I'm saying? And so once you realize after a few minutes that it really wasn't nothing per se, I I guess it kind of calmed down. But now it's kind of like it's kids getting trampled. Women are crying. They lost their kids. So that five minutes, it was kind of, you know, it was a pressure situation. Sounds so like chaos. It was very much chaos. You know what I'm saying? But what had happened was, the, now the story is out, what happened was it was a a kid got into it with, a, or a parent got into it with a ref, and he went and pulled a gun. And oh so my no God. shots were fired. No shots was fired, but once everybody saw a gun, everybody started running. And so now you got to realize it's 40, 50 courts. So once you see... 10 people run, now it's 20 people. Now it's 100 people. Now it's 500 people. And by the time they all got to our court, it was like a big old snowball, like a stampede of buffalo, would you say, all running to our court trying to get out the door. So, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they check, and everybody asked me, well, do they not you, Do they not have security? Well, they check your bag, but they don't have uh, metal detectors. So mm-hmm. apparently the guy had the gun on him. They don't check your person. And that's where it resulted. So, um, but pretty much our parents and team got away, got out safely, returned home. It was, from what I'm reading, it's about 10 people that had injuries had to be rushed to the hospital because of the trampling. And we're oh talking about God. children, children here. So, well, I hope that guy feels good. I hope he feels validated about making his point to a referee at a youth basketball game. I hope I hope it was worth putting children in the hospital. Yeah, man. You got knuckleheads on every level. And, and like I said, the whole weekend, it was a lot of arguing. Um, it was fights going on, you know, more than usual. So I feel like because of the stakes, the tensions were high. 
you know. Yeah. It just it makes me mad that kids would get hurt over something like that. Yeah. Like, like, it is children's basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm talking about even the refs got into it too. I mean, or I'm talking about the refs. Usually a ref will ignore the parents and stuff, like heckling them and stuff, man. And one ref, he was ready to, I mean, he was initiated. Like, really? <laughs> like you keep talking trash, yeah, I'm going to come over there and punch you in your face. You know, so <laughs> it, it was no ignoring, man. And, and after the game, I talked to that bro. I was like, where are you from? He was like, I'm from Baltimore. And I was like, I knew it. You was either from Baltimore or New York, man. He was like, I'm not taking none of this from none of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and, you know, I kind of respect it because I feel like some parents go over the top, which I think is wrong sometimes. I mean, it's cool if you argue a call. Like, oh, come on, Rev, that's a bad call. But when I feel like when you get personal, I think these are people too. And so I, I, I don't know. I found it entertaining until obviously the final straw when a guy pulled the gun. The way social media drives things, and, and you know how even our situation going back to it, like the kids was like, oh, it's an active shooter. And then it went from, okay, they were shooting in there. It wasn't like a, you know, the way people were running, you would think it was somebody in there mowing people down with an AK-47. Then it turned to, okay, I heard gunshots. Then it turned to, okay, it was just a guy that flashed a gun. And so, yeah. I mean. Well, that, you know, I, I would say that if somebody's pulling out a gun, the right move is get out of there. Right, and I was very proud of my daughter because I always make fun of her of being a suburban kid. You know, where we live is much different than where I grew up in St. Louis. I always told my daughter, I was like, the first rule of anything is when you see people run, you run. You ask questions once you get outside. That's, so that's was, a great rule. So I was very proud of her because you see it on the film, like even from the game on uh, Ball is Life, you see her, she's on the court, and then everybody start running. She's looking at the coach like, what defense we in? And then coach was like, run, run. So she broke. And I was like, yeah, I'm proud of you. You know, that's a – and once again, I'm not glorifying the situation. I'm saying the people who got hurt, I'm praying for them, but I'm proud of her for doing the right thing. That's all. That's great. And I'm imagining like she watches her four teammates run away from the ball, and then she turns to the coach and is like, well, what the hell defense is this? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then the one I tell you about who dad is the police officer, man, and she's sitting on a bench like, ref, why are you letting all these people on the court? And I like, the, like Simone ran, the coach ran, she's still sitting on a bench. Well, you know, you know when you're in a situation <laughs> like that, especially one that you're not familiar with, it's kind of surreal. So. All right, let's talk Buffalo Bills football. Yes, we had an interesting week, but <laughs> the purpose of the show, we swear, is to talk about the Bills. I know, right? People are going to be like, come on, man. I don't want to hear that stuff. I'm, we're sorry, y'all. Well, let's talk about the Bills, man. But can we first talk about the Matt? Can I, before we talk about our Buffalo Bills, can I just get on my soapbox about the Mad rankings real quick? Just well, that's where quick. I was going to start. Okay, okay. Well, as you all know, we're some of us are avid gamers, and they've reached out. People reached out on Twitter. Thank you. Talk about the Madden rankings and stuff. And on Friday, as we talked about last week, the rankings for the quarterbacks, the most important position on the field, came out along with the team rankings came out. And if you think that the big dude is just blowing smoke because it is, Josh Allen, once the rankings came out, was trending on Friday. 
Okay, so I wish I pie. I wish we could do like a live pie, and I, I think I even tweeted it out like, "Oh, I know what we're going to be talking about when we do our uh, pie next week." Josh Allen was actually trend trending. So not only has Bill Mafia spoke up, but the whole NFL was talking about how Josh Allen is only an eighty-eight rank quarterback rating quarterback. He's number seven. So uh, the top ten quarterbacks came out. Patrick Mahomes, as expected, was a 99. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady was a 97. Iffy. That is way iffy. Tom Brady is not the number two ranked quarterback on the game as far as him. Now, did he win a Super Bowl? Yes, he did. But for you to say he's a 97, that's just like giving Paint Manning a 97 after they won a Super Bowl in Denver. Come on mm-hmm. now. Come on. Like, get a kid a 90, not a 97. Uh, the MVP, Aaron Rodgers, was number three with a 96 rating. Uh, Russell Wilson was a 94. Lamar Jackson. That one burns your toast, doesn't that, it? That burns my – because because now as we always talk about winning, right, and I got some Baltimore – obviously we live in this area. There's a lot of Raven fans in this side of the country, right? And they, and they say, oh, well, Lamar Jackson was MVP. Okay, that was two years ago. But my whole thing is – Josh Allen beat him head to head, and when we beat them in the playoffs, it they lost because he threw a pick six. So mm-hmm. that 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 I don't know about that. That kind of cooks my grits right there. So he's number five, number six. Deshaun Watson, a guy who we don't even know is going to play this year. Tyrod Taylor might be the starting quarterback in Houston. Right. He gets a ninety. And then number seven is R. Josh Allen with an 88 overall, who finished second behind Aaron Rodgers for MVP. Like I told you last week on the pod, I was fully expecting him to be between a 93 and a 95. He's an 88. That's what he left off in with in Madden uh, the, this past year's Madden because they updated every couple of weeks. So. When you turn on the game now, if you have Xbox Live, it updates their uh, real-time stats. He was at 88 to end the year. Now, wouldn't it make sense, though, that his rating didn't improve from one year to to the next? That if he finished at an 88, he would start the season at an 88. That that makes sense to me, though. But what doesn't make sense (sighs) is how did these other guys bypass him? I have no idea. That's why I don't get it. Now, Allen finished the year number three in QBR behind Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And it was close. So at worst, how is he not top three to five? How did he drop to eighth and completely out of the 90s? Caveat here, Josh Allen began last season with a 77 rating. Aaron Rodgers began last season with an 89 rating. And so, yeah. So throughout the year, he got better. And obviously, you boost his, once he gets MVP, that boosts him up. But you would think that the year Josh Allen had, see, that's why it's important where you start. You know what I'm saying? So you should, to me, he should have started at 92, 93 this year. And if he didn't perform, then you drop him down. But that's why, to answer your question, that's why it's important to start high and go from there. Hmm. Okay. 
You know, so, it's, it's kind of like college football, the rankings. Everybody say, oh, when the BCS and the college football playoff rankings come out, it don't matter where you at. Well, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, does. Because if you're number one, if you're Clemson and Alabama, you got to play your way out of that spot. Versus if you Notre Dame and you number six or seven, you got to play your way into that spot. I'm looking at the ratings right now from uh, Madden 20 and Madden 21. And Patrick Mahomes has taken taken the top spot literally every year with a 99. Uh, but I'm looking at the changes from year to year. And it appears that most players ended the season of Madden 20 and began the following season with the same rating score-wise. Most of them did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones who seemed to have dropped were Philip Rivers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of all the same players. Yeah, and, and I was going to get into that. If you look at, if you do a compare and contrast to where the Bills players started last year, all of them are pretty much the same. It, you might have a guy to gain a point or two and a couple got worse by a point or two, but it's basically the same. Disrespect, man. There are not seven players, six, seven players, quarterbacks that are better than Josh Allen right now. So I'm thinking that one of the one of the items that plays into it is the other quarterbacks have a larger quantity of quality of work more than one season behind them last season Lamar Jackson wasn't as good as Josh Allen but he was he was better in two out of the three years than Josh Allen was right so he has a a better overall career to back up his rating right I think, Do you think I, that's it? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they look at your whole career. I mean, Tom Brady is not a 97 overall at this point. No, he's not. He's not a 97. He wanted so it's like you get grandfathered in with your career. We're looking at your whole career versus the season prior. So now if Josh Allen has another year like he had th- this past year, then he'll be in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, Russell Wilson. He's a 94. That's because he's been good for numerous years. Um, And then number eight was Dak Prescott at 87. Uh, Ryan Tellehills, number nine with an 87. And then Matt Ryan was at 85 at number 10. So those are your top 10 quarterbacks. Yeah, Matt Matt Ryan has seen quite a fall from grace. Remember he was considered a top five guy? Yeah, because he was a – Matt Ryan was a former MVP. Yeah. You know? so The years are catching up there. Yes, they are. I mean, he's probably on his last leg. The only person the years don't catch up with are Tom Brady. Right, right. The the only one, he's a freak. And so if you look at the overall uh, team scores, the Buffalo Bills is the number six ranked team on the game this year. You have Tampa Bay is a 92, the Chiefs are a 90, the Packers are 89, the Ravens 88. The Browns eighty seven and Buffalo's eighty six. I I can see that. I I feel like the Browns have just some unbelievable talent in their some of their individual players. There, the Browns are going to be a problem. I keep saying it. The Browns are going to be a problem this year. 
I have friends that are Saints fans, and that's what they always say. They say that because they got all pro players, because they have good players, that's why they're always ranked high. And so now I'm thinking, okay, well, Buffalo now has all pro players. You know, so I'm thinking we would get more respect. I think we should we, we made it to the AFC championship, dude. I will defer to the Bucks. I will defer to the Chiefs and the Packers, maybe. But how is Baltimore right? And we beat them in the playoffs. Cleveland didn't make it. They won one playoff game. I feel like, once again, Bill's Mafia is getting a little disrespected. I think they're making us prove it, and you're just giving the Browns and the Ra- well, Ravens been to the playoffs. So I, I guess I don't have a problem with that. But the Browns, is you're talking about what they – what you expect them to do. And I, I, I got a problem with that. Huh. I, I don't think I do. And here's why you have to allow for improvements in the off season to be pulled into the ranks. And now improvements in the off season, it doesn't, you know, a lot of times what happens on paper doesn't translate to the field. We, we know that, you know, that the team that wins the off season never does well during the season. Yeah. However, I think that you look at year number two in Kevin Stefanski's system. You have added a couple of decent players. You have an offense that doesn't rely too much on the quarterback, a good running game. And here's the other thing. This is what's psychological. They made a couple of big additions, like signing Jadavian Clowney. The Bills brought back the players that they had last year, didn't make any big splashes in the offseason. Psychologically, People forget about that. And I'm but how can, that. That's fair. That but, that's fair. But my problem with that is how can you forget about us playing for the AFC championship? Yeah. You I, can't I forget about that. That's that's my only problem. I get it. You bring in Clowney. You're the hot name. Yeah, Cleveland Browns is back to relevancy. I get it. But we made it to the AFC championship. Yep. <laughs> so it should be a top four to, team. Yeah. Give us that respect until we lose. Now, usually, man, does the updates once every three weeks, four weeks. Now, if we come out the gate and we're one and three and we lose to the Steelers and we look bad, then drop us. But give us the benefit of the doubt out the break. Come on now. That's my only problem. Also, I do want to throw in, it's a big splash, but Jadavian Clowney is not that good of a player. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That's fair. Speaking of disrespect, so we agree this Josh Allen is disrespected. The Bills as a team, there is an argument for that too. But is there disrespect going on when it comes to the stadium negotiations? Word came out this week that the Buffalo Bills and the state of New York had began speaking to each other. And it seems that somebody from the state leaked to the media that the Bills asked for $1.5 billion from the state to 100% fund the Bills' new stadium and improve the hockey arena. And they also mentioned the fact that there are other cities like Austin, Texas, that would kill to get a football team, an NFL team. Then the Buffalo Bills, who, by the way, before this was printed by the Buffalo News, they had a chance to comment on the record and did not regarding any of those facts. But then later it was floated from their surrogates 
that in fact, no, they did not ask for 100% of stadium funding and that they, they wouldn't expect that and that they would never leave. They just did make a point that there are other cities that want NFL teams. Is there disrespect going on here? Are the fans being disrespected? Are the Bills as an organization or the state of New York? I don't think it's disrespect. I think it's called negotiations. I agree. I think this was done strategically. I think we all know pretty much, knock on wood, that the Pagulas would never move the Buffalo Bills out of Buffalo, New York, out of Orchard Park. I think it's one of those things where you want to, because it was it was a quote that Kim Pagula said: "We don't have 1.5 million that we we spent all our money buying the team, and you know the boat they spent what 1.4 I think billion dollars to get the Buffalo Bills, so we don't have just one billion dollars laying around to build a stadium. Well, you could get private investors to do that, and then they said, well, we don't want to have PSLs, uh, public seats licensing, we don't want to raise ticket prices." So we need this money, all right? I think it's a little tone death right now with where society is to ask for a new stadium where you got people who a lot of people are unemployed. We're in the midst of a pandemic once again uh, to try to rich people fighting over money. Um, So I would say tone death. I don't look at it disrespectfully. I feel like there's no way that they will move uh, out of Orchard Park I just think it's one of those things where they're strategically trying to put pressure on the state to try to get as much money as they can. And then they'll solicit uh, private donators and funding uh, from outside sources, and then they'll get the deal done. I agree. Terry Pagula did not become a multi-billionaire by being a bad negotiator. He's good at getting what he wants when it comes to negotiations. And, if I may just sort of give you a little bit of my background, I do marketing for a living and I specialize in the tech sector, bringing new products and young companies to market. And one of the things that I have to focus on, whether I'm doing marketing or in my past roles where I was doing product management is I have to set prices. And one of the things you do when you go and you're looking at buying any sort of software online is you will have three prices. You'll have the basic, the pro, and then the enterprise or whatever you want to call those three. And the reason for it is the psychology of pricing. You have to see a higher number in order to be willing to pay a lower number. It's called price anchoring. That's why every time you go into a store, they show you the original price and the sale price Yep, because they have to establish a value on that. So what the Pagulas did when they walked in to talk to New York is they set the anchor. They went for the big ask first, knowing that they're never going to get it on average 40 to 70% of stadiums get publicly funded. 40% 40% of the amount, I should say, of the of the stadiums gets publicly funded. So they went in and asked for all of it. What they're hoping for is to get 40 to 70%. Right. And that's exactly why they went in with that. And now what is New York State going to do? Matt Warren, 
uh, wrote about this on Buffalo Rumblings, and he made a great point. They said, you, state of New York, fund 100% of it. And New York State said, no, you, Pagulas, you fund 100% of it. That was them setting their own anchor. And now they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. That's just how it works. The unfortunate side is that people were leaking this to the press. And I realized they were doing it to try to put pressure on the Pagulas. And it's, it's a tactic and it's used often and it's effective. This created a lot of debate. What the hell is a billionaire doing asking us, the taxpayer, for more money? I wish that didn't happen. I wish they would have uh, just dealt with it behind closed doors. But it's effective. It raised the the question, why is a family who is worth $5.5 billion asking people who are not worth $5.5 billion to pay for it? And that would be the taxpayers of New York and Erie County and everywhere else. Well... I'm glad after the first day of passes upon us that we're hearing stories like this to probably get off the whole COVID thing um, because we were the face of that. So I'm glad we're not discussing that and we can have this. I think this is one of the things where it's a good headline. Um, Everybody's calling me, hey, Newt, what you think about this? And I'm looking like that's never going to happen. But I would rather be dealing with this instead of dealing with injuries like the Colts. I don't know if you saw that. but Yeah. Because <laughs> you and I text each other. Oh, we got to bring that up real quick, not to get off script. I text you once the, quarter, the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts is going to be out five to 12 weeks, right? Carson mm-hmm. Wentz having foot surgery. And also, I just got a tweet today, Quentin Nelson, they're all pro from Notre Dame, all pro guard. He has the same foot injury. He's going to be out five to 12 weeks. Oh, man. So both of them could miss the first two months of the season. Exactly. You know? So I texted you once Carson Wentz came out. So the question was, would we get would we trade Mitch Trubisky, our backup quarterback, um, for a fourth-round pick from the Colts because they need a starting-level quarterback. And you said what? I said no chance because a high-level backup quarterback can help a team get to the playoffs and make a Super Bowl run. A fourth-round pick next year is not going to do that and rarely does a fourth-round pick ever become the difference in a team making the Super Bowl or not. Okay, and I agree with you. But then, you know how I do. I said, <laughs> what about a third-round pick? And, and then, I said, nope. And then I said, what about a second-round pick? Hmm. Second-round pick <laughs> that could conditionally move in or become more picks – or a first-round pick, yeah, I'm in. Okay, I said second-round pick, and I'm getting Matt Barkley on the phone and be like, yeah, come <laughs> on back. <laughs> I'll yeah. take a second-round. I'm not going to probably take a fourth-rounder. I feel you on that. He's more important to us in case something happens to Allen. But, yeah, I will roll the dice on a second-round pick. Uh, a first-round pick, I'd be like, pack your bags, Mitch. Um, <laughs> I I'd take that first round pick. I would grab a fifth round pick 
one of my own fifth round picks, send it to Chicago for Nick Foles, and that that'd be that. Yeah. But what about you wouldn't bring Matt Barkley back? No, that guy's awful. How's he awful, man? He tore Miami butt apart when he got meaningful playing time. Yeah, that was a fluke. The the entire team destroyed Miami. It wasn't just him. Yeah, he's not a good quarterback. There there's a reason they didn't bring him back. You didn't see him against the Jets the year before. <laughs> I forgot it was, about that game. It was laughably awful. That's fair. But I still take a second. I would take I would I would I like your plan. Trade him for a second round pick and then bring Nick Foles in. That's fair. I can live with that. Yeah, I, I mean there's a reason why nobody has signed Matt Barkley. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Um But we're back in camp, like like we said, a weekend and the pads are officially on. And I wanted to ask you, because we're hearing we had heard great things about Jake Kumaro and Isaiah Hodgins and uh, Dane Jackson. But as camp got going, they're saying, well, we're seeing some of the chinks in the armor of Dane Jackson. He's inconsistent. Isaiah Hodgins, who is great in many camps, they're saying, well, you know, he takes a lot of false steps when he's coming in and out of cuts. Uh, But Kumaro is really coming around. So my question to you, is how big of a difference does it make when the pads actually come on? Oh, it's, it's 360 degrees. Totally different game? Yeah, man. Yeah. In shorts, man, a lot of people look good in shorts. All right? And then the thing about it is when you're talking about one-on-ones in shorts, it, it could be totally different once you put on pads. Once you go live, um, how you move in space. I don't know if you saw the new rule changes also went through. They're going to give 15-yard penalties for chop blocks. I don't know uh-huh. if you saw I that. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, so, I mean, and I'm just – I'm only bringing that up to say for your answer to the question, once you put on pads, it's harder to block somebody. It's harder to move somebody. It Things are totally different, okay? And that's why they said at the combine, people look like Tarzan but play like Jane. And you mm-hmm. see the difference once the pass come on. If I got to try to – it's going back to the rule changes. If I'm a receiver and I'm – or if I'm a lineman and I'm trying to go up on a linebacker, how can I get that linebacker on the ground without chopping him? I got to be able to stop block that guy, meaning I got to square up with him and I got to be able to block this guy in space. I got to be able to put my paws on him. Now, if he's a little jitterbug and he's moving around and I can't get my hands on him and he dodges me and all that stuff, I can't cut him now. So it's going to be interesting to see how this affects. And it affects both sides of the ball. All right, Brian Dable talked about it in his press conference also. It ain't just on offense, it's defense too. Because when you got D linemen who's uh, trying to stop linemen from getting up to the linebackers and stuff, you got to try to take on that double team. You might take a guy uh, – hit him in his thighs and try to stop him from getting up to the second level to your linebackers and your corners and safeties. So it affects both sides of the ball. So you're not mm-hmm. able to get guys on the ground like you used to. That's going to be a big rule change. That's huge, man. So once let's talk about the receivers specifically. Why do you, Why would we see a guy like Hodgins drop back to the pack and Kumaro rise above once the pads come on? I think it's one of those situations. I, 
I feel like Kamaro's the guy that, you know, you always got the guy, like he's the new Christian Wade. Like he's the guy that we <laughs> want to see make the team. He's like the fan favorite. He got a great story. I think it's more or less. And from what I'm hearing is he's snatching everything. But it, it's in my mind, it still doesn't change the top four. No. Right? So now we're talking about who's going to be our fifth or sixth or seventh receivers. I mean – it's a great story, but I, I just can't see with the people we have in front of them it being a big deal. I just think it's one of those things where it's a great story. Um, and like I said, he's going to be this year's Christian Wade. So Sure. Well, I mean, he can create a path to the team by playing well on special teams, which is something that he does, which is something that this coaching staff actually likes. And they they prove how much they like it, not only by talking about it in press conferences, but by taking on guys, putting them on the roster just for that, just for that purpose. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is fights breaking out. Apparently the first fight of the summer happened. It was Spencer Brown and Ed Oliver. Spencer yes. Brown is the rookie tackle who's six, nine, huge athletic. And here we are with Ed Oliver. And is this his fourth year? Yeah. Wow. That that I'm came blind. quick. This is third year. And uh, they got into a scuffle that, in fact, ended up on the ground with punches being thrown. Can that hurt a team? Or is that good for a team? That's good. Is it? That's good. Yeah. It builds character. And if you hear him in the post-practice uh, interviews, he's like, hey, we're going to probably go out to eat later. It's nothing personal. You got to realize, man, it's hot out there. People, guys are competing. It could be an extra push and shove. You know, the young guy, he's trying to prove himself to, you know, to the older guy. And it, and it could be anything to where, Okay, we're going through walkthroughs, and and I know this personally because I'm gonna tell you I was a real douchebag when I played. <laughs> I mean, from the super, no, listen. When I was younger, like when I was a freshman in college, obviously I didn't make it to the NFL, but when I was a freshman in college, right? And so it's like when you go through drills and stuff, you go first team, second team, and then it's kind of like everybody else. And then when you do inside drills and team, you might not get any reps. So when you do get a rep. I mean, you're going full speed. Everybody looking at you like, come on, Rook, don't act like that. No, I'm going to act like that. Like, I'm trying to play. So, I'm sorry. This is my game. You all get to prove yourself on Saturdays. I don't. So, every day, Monday through Friday, is like my game. So, I'm trying to get where you're at. So, I'd be an ass. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't care. And so, even when we did sprints, like, okay, I'm sitting there watching the whole practice, so I ain't tired. So when we run gassers and sprints and suicides and stuff, I'm whooping people. Cause I and they were like, Oh, you trying to make a look bad, you ain't practicing. I'm like, Yeah, but if I keep going, I'm gonna be practicing soon. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how I was. So I mean, anyway, I just think it's one of those things where the young guy's trying to make a name on the older guy, and the old guy wasn't having it. So, you know, that you're gonna have those things. Those things are natural and they very rarely spill over afterwards. Once it's over, it's over. Is it really though? Yeah, yeah. People don't yeah. hold grudges. They don't hold grudges. So I take it you going hard in practice caused you to get into some throwdowns. No. no, no. I mean, I went to a D two school. A lot of the dudes that was, I mean, a lot of the dudes that I played with and against, they weren't as large as me and strong. So, no. I mean, 
I'd, so they didn't uh, want to get on your bad side. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, I'm not acting like I'm Ed Oliver. Or I'm so tooth chipper, but I never have. Like a lot of people get tested, and I, I very rarely have gotten tested in my life. No, you know. So to, we've talked about this before. A lot of problems that an ordinary person probably goes through, I've never really had to go through those things. You know what I'm saying? So well, you know, it's no. interesting. Neither have I because of the exact opposite end. Um, you know, I'm a full grown middle aged man, and I have topped out in my life at like 165. That's the heaviest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've just been a skinny little dude. That you know, the big guy in the bar, people go try to fight them. Uh, people like me, like you stand nothing like. You haven't proven anything to anyone if you beat up a scrawny ass like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also, but once again, I hang out the bars when we watch the games and stuff. But you think about it, though. I always try to do like a test of strength to make you, even if you wanted to test me, you know that I'm just not no pipsqueak. Like how I throw you up in the air with ease and walk around with you on my shoulder. Like (laughs) I do things to show my strength. Like, okay, you better think twice before you want to test me, you know. So. Yeah, one time I tried to show uh, somebody how strong I was. When you were sitting in a chair, I tried to um, pick your foot up off the floor, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, man. Oh, man. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to run past you is they say – Early in training camp, the defense is almost always ahead of the offense because the offense, it takes so many things for them to click. Everybody, their timing has to be there. Um, They have to know where to go. It's a lot, especially when it's, you know, the offseason, you're coming off the offseason and, uh, you know, you don't have a chance to get into your rhythm with your teammates yet. Before I get to my next question, I want to ask, is it is as much as they play it up, the offense is going to be behind early in the season? Or is that making excuses? No, I totally agree with that. That's always been a norm of football. The defense is more about aggression where uh, offense is more about timing and precision. So it takes time to get the timing and precision. It's easy to always go forward and be aggressive. So uh, in football, that's always the, the at, no matter how good your offense is, the defense usually starts out faster. Okay, now the reason I bring this up is because all of the reports out of Orchard Park right now are that the the offense is ahead of the defense, and Josh Allen is throwing dimes out there. How is that possible? A week into camp. How, how how does that happen, man? Well, well, I heard that he looked good the first couple of days, and Saturday when the fans were there was probably his worst day. But that was still like an average day for him. So, yeah, I mean, he got together in the offseason with his receivers, so he probably looks more sharp than normal. Um, but once again, we're in shorts, we're running around, people ain't putting their paws and their pads on you. So I'm That's eager true. to see what it's going to look like this week. What are the reports? And also, I think it's one of those situations where the media, I mean, we once again, we weren't there, but the media, I feel like, is always going to, like, 
if Josh Allen looks okay, he looks great. Like, that's what the fan base kind of wants to hear. Mm. So I feel like some of it is posturing, you know? Now, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but the first couple of days, oh, looks awesome. Oh, look at this. Look at this pass to Cole Beasley. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that, that's fine. That's 707 against, you know, air. But I just – I just take it like I want to see footage of when they're hitting. That's that's and then once the preseason game starts, that's when I'll still, you know, really you know, make my opinion on it. If your wife came home and said that Josh Allen asked her out on a date, how would you respond? <laughs> I tell her to go out with him. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I think I would. I think I would make her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> that is crazy. That was out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah that's what that I do. Yeah, I see. <laughs> In fact, my wife, all it, at least three times a week, she starts laughing and says, I never know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But oh. yeah, man, I'm hearing I'm hearing that uh the D line looks big and long. Greg Rousseau looks good. They say he's a massive human being standing out amongst other massive human beings. So it looks like I mean, once again, once the pass go on, we'll see. But so far, uh FA Abada, I mean, they they saying that he's looking the part, so I mean, once again, we'll see this week once they start hitting, but it's great reports from those two, so. Well, you know, word was that Russo wouldn't be ready, and Mario Addison is singing his praises right now. Same with F.A. Obata. He's had good things to say about both of them, and let's hope that with the pads on, it continues. Mm-hmm. And we'll be here to report on it. And other news and notes, man, I don't know. I, once again, I know you're not a college fan, but Oklahoma and Texas got formally invited to the SEC. So just like we talked about name, image, and likenesses, this is another peg in a hole of what we know as college sports uh, changing, the landscape. So two teams from the Big 12 is going to go with the SEC. And I saw a tweet saying that Clemson and Florida State asked to be a part of the SEC, leaving the ACC. So if that happens, uh, college football is going to be different as we know it today. It's going to be the SEC, and who cares? Right. It ain't <laughs> going to be the haves and have nots. It's going to be the haves and who cares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think that's good for the sport? Uh, I think it's just about money. Um, well, it is, but is it good? It, I think it is. It, it's only they're only adjusting to where college athletics is today. In my opinion, and you know how I love college football. In my opinion, I feel like it should be more teams in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and I feel like they're moving conferences because why? Because the SEC always get two teams in the uh, playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so people want to be a part of that. So if you make a super conference, then they're going to probably get three teams in the playoffs now. I feel like it should be 12 teams in the college football playoffs. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, to me, the uh, NCAA tournament, which you're familiar with. I know you're a big Dayton fan. 
you got to give the little guys a chance. Even if the little guys get in there and play the big guys and get whooped by 50, you have to make them feel like they have a chance. Where right now with college football, everybody don't have a chance. It's the SEC and then Clemson, and then it's like one other spot for somebody else. Yeah. You know? You, you know, know like this is – it's really a microcosm of what is happening with the economy as a whole over the past, say, two or three decades, which is consolidation. You take the biggest companies and they merge to form one super company. And it's very difficult for competition to really break through. And ultimately, it's not good for the consumer when there's consolidation. And that's what I think is happening here. I think it's much better for the consumer when you have talent and money spread across the college football landscape. You see more of that in in college basketball than you do college football. And I think in a lot of ways, that's why March Madness is such a draw. I agree. And by the way, two years ago, my Dayton Flyers would have won March Madness had it happened. They would have won, period. Screw you. I'm taking my toys and going home. <laughs> they might have, man. Y'all had a good team that year, man. So I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. The National Player of the Year. Yep. That will never happen again at my own mater. <laughs> I'll be topping with the uh, New York Knicks, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's never going to happen again to the Dayton Flyers. But anyway. But yeah, my solution would be just to expand the playoffs, and then you won't have all the teams jumping ship and making a big conglomerate like that. Um, I do agree with you. I like separate conferences because I feel like different conferences is almost like different campuses. I feel like conferences have their own identity and their style of play. Like the Big mm -hmm. 12, you know they play little defense and it's going to be scoring a lot of points. So when you watch Oklahoma against Oklahoma State, that's much different than watching Alabama versus LSU where that game is probably going to be 10 to 7 or 13 yeah. to 10 where Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is going to be 50 to 49 in triple overtime. You know, no, one of my favorite things to do when I was early in high school and I had to babysit my uh, younger siblings was watch those uh, whack shootouts on ESPN. They'd come on at like 11.30 p.m. and it would be San Diego State against BYU and Marshall Falk would run for 350 yards and the game would yep. be like 58-54. Yeah. It was so yeah. much fun. Yeah. So I, I like having more conferences and having different styles of play. Um so, I mean, so in my opinion, would it be better for the sport? Not necessarily, but I think it's a necessity unless they expand the playoffs. I want more I want more playoff games. Like I said, I don't care if Alabama beats Dayton 70 to nothing. I don't care about that. Like, I just won't watch it. But yeah. if let's say if Dayton upsets Alabama, I would love to see that. Well, Dayton is Division Two non-scholarship, so <laughs> right that'll never happen. Yeah. I was just saying, said said mid-major school, like yeah, like Middle Tennessee State, whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I will no, I'm I'm with you. I was just being obnoxious. I know you're you're a bass. Speaking of you being there, I had to text you. I want to say this real quick. I know we're going too long, but this is hilarious. So I'm shaving. We, you know, the family and I went to the dentist this morning. So I'm shaving, getting ready to go to the dentist, right? And so Jalen comes into the room. 
And he was like, <laughs> I think I heard Jamie. So what happened, we was going to record last night, but my daughter had a soccer game, so we couldn't connect. So we connected on Tuesday to record the pod. But I left the mic on. The mic was hot all night long. So I'm texting you like, uh, I hope you and your wife ain't holding hands because uh, <laughs> I'm using my son's school computer to record uh, record the podcast. So he heard you. And I was like, he comes in there. And he was like, uh, I think I heard Jamie on the mic. And I was like, well, what did he say? Well, all I hear is a bunch of cussing and fussing. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> And so I text you. I'm like, I hope you and your wife wasn't holding hands last night because my son can hear everything, right? <laughs> and so you was like, you was like, well, what did he say? And I was like, he said you was just cussing and fussing this morning. And you was like, yeah, I was trying to log on to my work computer. <laughs> yeah, I was having a problem getting on my computer, and I was late for uh, late for a meeting. And I'm like, ah, just, God damn it, what's wrong with this fucking thing? Oh, geez, every time I got to get you, son of a. <laughs> <laughs> and when he said that, I just knew it. I'm like, yeah, you heard Jamie. I can hear that. So I'm just happy you didn't hear no headboards banging or no nothing like that. And nothing I had to have a sit down and talk birds of the bees with. So I was scared, man. So. Oh, man. Because when you asked me that question, I'm like, what? Why would he ask that? <laughs> yeah, the um, mic was hot all night because I never logged off of Zenster. So, fortunately, the uh, my podcasting setup is in the office, okay. where uh, most of the time there's no hand holding. Okay, good. <laughs> Most of the time, right? I know how it is to be young, newlyweds, no children around, you know, it can be all my ass. I'm middle aged. Yeah, yeah. Young so was, my butt. So as long as it wasn't no handhold, I was like, all right, cool. You just heard him cussing and fussing. Uh, all stuff <laughs> he's heard from you before. Yeah, true. That is true. <laughs> so um give us a song, buddy. Happy birthday, Ma Levy, man. Shout out to the greatest, man. National treasure. So we're going to start hitting this week. We'll see y'all next week. Hey, hey, hey.